Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdell. C70 is about at C70 on Twitter. Usually I have, well, not usually. I don't, I can't say that this year. Alan Medlock has been, you know, is our official co-host. Alan is finally finishing up with baseball season over there at Tulsa, uh, Nathan Hale. Um, they have finished their regionals. Alan's going to take a couple of weeks more, but he will be back with us at the beginning of June and hopefully can run them throughout the, the rest of the season without any problem. Um, but joining me tonight, uh, filling in, is uh, Jason Hill. You can find him over at Viva Alberto's and JP Hill underscore cards on Twitter. Jason, thanks for joining me. Yeah, always a pleasure, man. Good to see you. Yeah, and uh, it, it's been a week of, of things to actually discuss. We're recording this right now as the Cardinals are playing the Giants. It's uh, three to one, bottom of the fifth, as we are doing this. I haven't, I, I think, are they still being no hit? Um, this is fairly you know, I haven't been paying attention to that, to be honest. I know that, that Donovan's up and no one is on. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me, uh, the Cardinals do have a run, but uh, without the benefit of a hit earlier on, uh, let's double check. Let's just say it. No yes. hitter. Can we just yeah. say it that way we can get this, you know, because we don't want that to happen. And so let's just go ahead and jinx this and make that, yeah. make that and, go and away. Honestly, I think, uh, you know, I pull up game day and there is no out for Brendan Donovan. So, um, we may have just jinxed it. That's good. We're, we're, we're off to a, a good start. Um, the offense has been an issue this week. Um, yes. They've Donovan, had a couple by the way, is safe. It was a ball in the, in the dirt might have been an error, but too hard of a play. So there is the first hit. There Don't have go. to worry about that. Yeah. That's, um, and that, that, again, that's the problem. There are nights where this offense looks like the offense we thought it was going to be right. The second game against the Orioles, everybody kind of, you know, started to hit the ball and we thought, okay, this is good, but this is, you know, the, the first and last game against the Orioles, the offense was non-existent tonight. Yeah. It's been kind of shut down. Yeah. Um, what to make of this? I mean, is, is there anything to make of this? Um, I think there's a, several things going on and I'm sure that um, it's something that's probably been a point of conversation for you guys uh, and your various you know guests is, is just the state of offense throughout the league. Mm-hmm. And whether we want to say it's the weather, I think that the weather does have a, a, some kind of impact on it, the cool weather. Um, or the new baseball, you know, there's something we could talk about for an hour. Yeah. Uh, it, is that it is without question suppressing offense to a significant degree. And, and just as an example, I, I pulled up here um, league stats on fan graphs. So this would be league offense since uh, 2010. And I'm really tempted to go back farther. And maybe I will, you know, once we get talking here. But if I sort this column by slugging percentage mm-hmm. um, in 2019, that's the highest slugging percentage that baseball 
has had since since 2010. Uh, and the average slugging percentage was 435. That was that was average, okay. Okay. which is that's that's fine. That's OK. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's kind of like the whole like Juan Encarnacion or, you know, Johnny Peralta levels of, of power. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you could. Yeah, that's that's doable. You can, um, yeah, you can you can use that. May not be your main moment. guy, but yeah. Yeah, right. Yes. that That's average. Yeah. So, you know, that and that was just. You know, two seasons ago, uh, three seasons ago, I guess 2020, whatever you call that. Um, but, you know, 2019 wasn't that long ago. Um, this year, 2022, 373. Whew. 60 points of slugging lost, um, which is just, I mean, that's a ton. That's the difference between. Uh, you know, a good power hitter and, uh, you know, a, a below average power hitter. And that's everyone in baseball. So that doesn't just include, you know, the guys like, uh, you know, Yadier Molina doesn't have a whole lot of power right now at this point right. in his career or, or, or Edmondo Sosa or, you know, pick your, pick your guys from the eighties that, that couldn't hit a home run if they wanted to, you know, it, it, not just those guys, but it's, it's includes the Giancarlo Stantons and the Aaron judges. Some of these guys have home run numbers, but, but just, you know, all of these guys that are normally 20, 30, 40 home run guys, they're, they're down. And then the guys that, that, you know, are more in the teens and, and in single digits, you know, they're, they're struggling to get any kind of power at all. And so it's just, it's just an epidemic, honestly. And it trickles down from there because batting average is down on base percentage is down across the league. Um, you know, K's really aren't that bad, um, you know, relative to recent history, but there's just there's just very little offense um, around baseball, and it's a, it's enough of a sample size now. When when for this season, for example, there have been thirteen thousand eight hundred ninety six games played, thirty five thousand plate appearances. That's a sample size, man. Yeah, that's that's enough for it to to be pretty well established. Um, so yeah, there might be minor change and a little bit of tweaking as things go on, but the reality is, is that offense across the league is down and the Cardinals are, are reflecting the new reality of baseball. I will say, I think I read something about you, you mentioned strikeout rate being down. I've read that it's basically because pitchers aren't hitting. I mean, that, that oh, was, that's probably true. Actually, that's yeah. a really good point. I, I don't, I, I probably, I guess this league af- offense probably does include, pitcher stats from previous yeah. season. Yeah. So, right. you know, but then think but, about that too. If pitcher stats aren't, aren't in this mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. but yet slugging has dropped right. 60 point. I mean, that's because <laughs> pitchers don't slug the ball. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's even more, you know, even more dramatic of a change. You know, I think you're just showing that when you mess with the fabric of reality, of baseball reality, there are consequences. <laughs> there here. are. You start, you start taking out pitchers for hitting and nobody's going to kind of hit at least that's what it seems like right and and, and in some ways too you know part of the i I kind of feel this that people are having a difficult time wrapping their minds around what is good offense right now what is bad offense right now what's mediocre Mm -hmm. offense right now and and it's kind of like what you're saying there are so many factors to consider from the new ball um to uh you know the dh in the in the national league for the first time and some other factors like that that are weighing in it's it's sort of hard to know what all is going on and what's causing it uh and you know honestly just from a reality standpoint as you say when you change too many factors at once you never know which factor it is that's impacting you know 
a, a large amount of change. And so what's causing it right now? I, I don't know. Lots of different things, but it's extreme. Yeah. I mean, you've got the humidor everywhere. Oh yeah. Year. That's the other one. I knew there was another one. Yeah. Humidor yeah. everywhere. It's going to make a, make a difference at standardized, you know, mm-hmm. humidity around the league is, uh, yeah. gotta be a factor in this, which, which might be good during the summer, especially in St. Louis, but you know, overall it seems to at least early on be one of the factors again, so many different yeah. things that could be involved with that. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, we watch the Cardinals, so we get in, involved with their issues probably more than others, but it does feel like even with all of that, you know, league caveat, it's been even worse for them. And like I said, maybe it hasn't, maybe it's just cause we're watching them, but what is it? What did I see the score? The, 15 of their 31 games have scored two or fewer runs. Yeah. Um, you know, they haven't been shut out very often. So they're at least being able to put up a run or two. But still, you know, this is a lineup that, you know, you would think could put up two or three runs with a swing of the bat and haven't been able to. Right. Right. This is going to surprise you. This surprised me. Right now, the Cardinals, if there's a stat called WRC plus uh, mm-hmm. weighted runs created plus, I, I know that you're familiar with that, but I'll, some of your listeners might not be. And all it is, is, is is sort of like measuring all the different offensive events that happen in a baseball game and kind of weighing them against each other and then setting that on a 100 scale. So 100 is average. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, anything above that is above average. Anything below is below. It's pretty simple, really. Um, the Cardinals, uh, let me just ask you this. <laughs> let me take your your guess. If you had to guess, where in the league would St. Louis rank right now in weighted runs created plus? Oh, so that factors in stolen bases and things like that too, right? Oh, uh, I'm not sure or if it, it does or, or is it just not. Offense, if it's just offensive stuff. It's probably or, just offensive because you know, base running is a little is separate. Yeah, yeah, if you had a base okay. running, and I bet that they would be even even higher. But yeah, I'm guessing that they're higher than I expect them to be. So I'm going to say otherwise I wouldn't be asking the question. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that whole test taking strategy. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, right. If this is on there, that's probably not that. Um, I'm going to say, but I'll just go ahead and say 15th. Just be right in the middle. Okay, that's what I would have expected. They they are seventh. Wow. Seventh in yeah. baseball. Now, it's just a 101 WRC plus because so many people, so many teams are below mm-hmm. uh, what, you know, sort of expected or, or below what is average right now. In other words, there's a lot of other teams that are hitting, hitting <laughs> right. worse than the Cardinals are, as bad as it feels like the Cardinals are hitting. But yeah, a 101, and that's seventh in the league. Now, if I sorted it by another category, like uh, WOBA, uh, they're eighth in WOBA. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean it's like, is this a top 10 offense? Cause it feels like a, a bottom of the league offense just by some of these little, you know, mile markers that we look at, you know, less than three runs scored, however many games right. and getting no hit, you know, <laughs> it feels like a couple times against the giants themselves, you know? So, but you know, it's just, is the, are the Cardinals bad, but good, you know, uh, because our calibration is off or is just the whole league bad or, you, know, you wonder it, if it's a little bit, you know, we have, we've, we've, we've used the term a lot, feaster famine, boomer bust. Yeah. They've had a, you know, and I don't know, again, they may be in line with some other teams too, but you know, like that game against Arizona, 15 singles and, and they score whatever. And then, you know, score 10 runs against Baltimore. It's like, if they're on, they're amazingly deadly. 
they're yeah. just not on quite as often. But I want to say even what's that stat floating around though? I mean, they've had double digit games of over five runs. It's like yeah. they're they're just don't hit a lot in the middle. Yeah, and that does even out over time. And that is right. one of the problems with like um looking at even team stats, because even though team individuals on a team can rack up a lot of stats fast. Um, because it's just so many plate appearances, even in one game, but a whole team, you know, there's only been, what are we, the, the 30th game of the season tonight? Yeah. Real, uh, real close to that. 17 yeah. and 13, I think. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's not that many games. And so, so the wild swings that you can have 10 runs here, 11 runs here, uh, can, can sort of move that run scored run allowed, you know, metric that you might look at for an individual team pretty significantly. Um, but over time, that evens out, and and a lot of people have pointed at that that the, either the really low scoring games and then some of the really high scoring games is inconsistency, and that's a good point. Um, a lot of it probably has to do with the individual pitchers they're facing, um, but uh, over time that will even out. And when you look at the individual stats within that, you know, even in slugging percentage right now, this one surprised me. They are lower playing in Bush. Bush suppresses power significantly but they're 14th in slugging percentage hmm. so and that's not weighted that's just that they're just 14th you know it's right there your average and that's in bush that's that plays up a little bit more than it would um if you're playing right. say in colorado so yeah well you know some of that was raised up by those little two blue doubles on your fez had not all doubles are created equal not all doubles are created equal right <laughs> it is interesting yeah. i pulled the, i pulled up the standings right now just to look because it's one of the things i like I'm, I'm a pretty basic person so i like to look at it's the run differential yeah. you know they're they're tied with milwaukee right now before tonight at plus 30 are um, they really yeah, yeah, they are. You know, much, much better than anybody else in the league. Um, yeah. You've got the Mets at plus 36. You've got the Dodgers at plus 76 because they're the Dodgers. And you got yeah. the Giants at plus 40 going into that. So, you know, they're they're right there with everybody, you know, uh, except for the Dodgers in that, you know, you know, run differential, which is, I mean, part of that's because their pitching has been so good. It um, has. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then again, we can flip it on its side ear right how how much has that been good pitching and how much of that has been bad offense by everybody else right right and it seems like the cardinals of of maybe maybe we could almost give the cardinals some credit here uh they're they knew about this the rest of us might not have known exactly what was going on in the baseball mm-hmm. but but these teams did the wit did mo did and they've built a team and maybe more unintentionally a ballpark that really fits well with run suppression. And so you throw ground ball pitchers out there in a league where players can't hit home runs in a ballpark where you can't hit home runs. And that's, that's a recipe for a lot of low scoring games, but a lot of, a lot of positive outcomes, a lot of wins potentially. Yeah. Yeah. You you would hope so. Especially it's, it's, and we've, other people have talked about this uh, a lot too, and you probably have as well, but it's almost that inverse cores effect, right? You, you get, you know, you win a lot of games at home for good pitching and on the road, hopefully you're pitching well enough that, yeah. um, you know, you, you know, as long as you take care of business at home, you know, you know, you, you can probably. And I was it. sort of, yeah. And I was sort of thinking about that coming into the season. It's like, well, their, their pitching staff is like 100% oriented towards pitching at Bush stadium. 
But it, their offense, on the other hand, even though they've, they've been trying to get more left-handed, and, and I think that's been something they've actively tried to do. I don't know how well they've succeeded, um, but, you know, they've looked at it. I'll put it that way, right? Mm-hmm. But, the you know, Bush dramatically suppresses right-handed power, and so they went out and they got Goldschmidt, they got Arenado, they've got Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader. That's right-handed power. That's what those guys do. Uh, and so it's almost like they're built to win with pitching at home and with offense on the road, um, yeah. which I don't know. Why don't you just try to get the best players you can get and win <laughs> everywhere? Uh, but, you know, you kind of have to go with what you what you got. And, and then there's also the budget constraints, too. But that's that's off. That's off uh, off season talk. So we won't go there. Unless we yeah, yeah, that's fair. And, you know, <laughs> and again, obviously not going to happen this year, but at some point in time, do they discuss, you know, moving the walls in again? I know that they, yeah, you know, you know I was, I checked in on that a couple times during the off season mm-hmm. with, uh, cause uh, Derek Gould talked about it a little bit, wrote about it a little bit. And I checked in with Jeff Jones of the, of the Belleville news Democrat a little bit about that. And he, he indicated, and he can talk about this himself, but he indicated pretty clearly to me that that was never going to happen. So, you know, maybe it was the point of conversation and a point of research, you know, for the mm-hmm. team. Obviously, they're going to do due diligence with all of these things, but it just, you know, was probably a non-starter. And, and I can see that. I mean, I mean, I, there is benefit in having a ballpark that, you know, if you want to focus on pitching or if you don't want to go buy pitching. Um, it's just a little bit different because the Cardinals have for so long have been this kind of pitching pipeline right of, of minor yeah. league pitchers that can come up and now they don't have that so maybe that's why they they have to because they're going to bring up you know guys that are maybe more fringe major leaguers or you know back of the rotation kind of guys versus you know top line guys that they've been doing so they yeah. need that advantage yeah they do um I don't want to give too much away. I've been, I've been working on something uh, for a while and it was uh, a conversation that I listened to with, well, I think it was, I I mentioned this before we recorded, but I think it was um, Cardinals off day, the bins with Kyle Reese Mm -hmm. um, talking about um, the way that the Cardinals system has been able to teach um, I I wouldn't say fringe or I wouldn't say marginal talents. I mean, you can't describe, you know, Matthew, Libertor as a marginal right. you know, talent, not, not at all, but he didn't have a good fastball. He didn't have a great fastball. He didn't have a lot of velocity. And, and they have actively been able to coach velocity out of some of these younger prospects. So they're, they're drafting later and they're drafting different types of arms or drafting control arms or drafting sinker ballers. This is not prime, you know, pitching real estate for the mm-hmm. rest of the league. Uh, Eno Saris has that stuff plus stat. I don't know right. if you're familiar with that, but I know he does a lot of great it. work. Yeah, with the athletic and and in the Cardinals system, they they rank at the bottom. I mean, just just bottom of the barrel in stuff plus and minor league, you know, mm-hmm. system. And part of that, as you said, is that they don't have that same pipeline of pitching that they used to. They don't, you know, they've got Libertor, and, and but they didn't have that. You know, Carlos Martinez, Rosenthal, Lance Lynn. You know, these guys that were just sort of coming through the system, it seemed like every year as maybe not elite pitching prospects, but good pitching, very good pitching prospects. Or the ones that they traded away like Alcantara. And like Gale Alcantara. And yeah, well, yeah, and, 
Yeah, Alcantara is a great example because he was fourth or fifth on the list right. when we traded. It was why they traded. And they're like, well, who's going to work out? Well, Alcantara is probably not as likely to work out as, as or doesn't have as, as much stuff as Alex Reyes and Jack Flaherty and Dakota Hudson. Mm-hmm. And so he's the one that's expendable. And, you know, they've all made it to some degree. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was quite a pitching group. Uh, and that was their third group like that, you know. Um, but some of these arms down there, you know, they're they're – they're showing this level of velocity that they hadn't before. And mm-hmm. someone else, you know, someone smarter than I will have to talk about why that is, or if it's intentional or if it's just a coaching thing, or if it's just working out that way, but they have less than they should have, but they might have found a way to make more out of it. And I'm hopeful that's true. Yeah. I'm hopeful. It does feel like they've made a, you know, obviously they've made great strides in, you know, hitting prospects. They didn't use. Yeah, to oh, huge those, because so. they used to. Yeah, right. I mean, just total system change in that as far as approach. Yeah, uh, and lots of hitting. You know, prospects coming up, but it seems like there's this undercurrent of solid to good pitching prospects there too that don't quite get as much attention. Yeah, but they're 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 there. They're there if you want to look for them. Yeah, and we've seen a little bit of that. Maybe not that level, but we saw. You know, this this week we see Jake Walsh get his yeah. his major league debut. And, you know, what struck out for in the first two innings that he has. And, right. you know, we'll we'll see how long he stays up, how well that develops and all that. But, you know, that's another arm that they're very high on and looks like, you know, it's not the starter level because I think we always get excited about starters as yeah. prospects more than, you know, relief aces or anything like that. But it's another guy that's got a real good chance to help this team and help it to be a successful, a successful one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jay, well, as a good example, because, you know, unheralded as a prospect and, mm-hmm. you know, not really a name that was, you know, all that familiar to us unless you follow like the Rule 5 draft stuff because he was he was a candidate for that. And then they added him to the 40-man roster, which right. is kind of how yeah. I came to know about him because here he is. If you're on the 40-man roster and you're a relief pitcher, there's a good chance you're going to see the major leagues. Really good chance. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of, you know, started looking at him and, and following him a little bit at that point. But that was just, you know. <laughs> that was just this fall, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, he, he, um, unheralded prospect, but I mean, he can pitch and he, he could probably have a pretty significant role in this bullpen this season. Uh, if they didn't already have a half dozen guys ahead of him, um, hang on. Oh, nope. Not going to make it. Uh, Dillson, Dylan Carlson just hit a yeah. 2019 home run, but it, it got uh, just shy of the warning track in 2022. Yeah. So <laughs> he, needed, he needed to hit that one a little harder to so go back little, in time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's some, you know, just like, it seems like always there's a whole bunch of guys down in the Cardinal system that no one really knows about except the Cardinals and Kyle Reese. Hey, Kyle Reese. Uh, yeah. Um, but <laughs> they're there and, and, you know, have the makings of, significant contributors down down the road yeah and i think that's a lot of what we've talked about on for a long time it's just that and it gets termed the cardinal way which is really i mean it's fair i think it's a fair term but that idea of getting them prepared so they can step right in and contribute at some point in time now these guys aren't necessarily high-end guys and these guys may not be guys that are going to be around for a couple of years um but when they get their chance, they're going to produce. It's kind of like this week and we'll get to this kind of let, maybe this lets us shift to the, the yeah. big topic of the week, but um, you know, Kramer Robinson comes up for two games and his one, you know, he doesn't, he comes into a game that the Cardinals are, are, are blowing out the Orioles, but still he comes in, gets a ground ball RBI. Yeah. He also throws the ball away, but that's another story. <laughs> I mean, right. but, you know, well, he yeah. didn't, 
he didn't really look, I mean, in that little small sample, he didn't look overmatched. Um, you know, obviously Juan Yepes has come up, Brandon, uh, Brandon Donovan has come up and they haven't looked, you know, lost or anything of that. They've been able to contribute from the get go. And I think that's partly because of how this organization prepares people starting in single A to kind of follow the same patterns and follow the same path all the way up to the major leagues. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you can develop guys, this is going to sound like the most cliche thing I've ever said, but if you can <laughs> develop guys that can hit the ball and catch the ball and field the ball and throw the ball, then you're going to, you know, <laughs> then you're going to be, be useful. All right. You're probably going to be like Kramer Robertson's a great guy, a great example. I mean, he, he's a system guy. I remember talking uh, on Viva Alberto's and some of the comment sections on a couple of these posts, uh, probably a transaction post by mm -hmm. uh, Skyrick, um, who uh, is one of our, you know, transaction gurus over there. Uh, boy, you guys, and, and I'll just give a big plug for him. Skyrick Esquire, S-E-S-Q. Um, he is, he is the king of transactions and transaction history. And um, so if you're ever wondering how some guy got here, he is the guy to go and read. But um you know, Robertson is, um, I kind of lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? Totally mm -hmm. lost it, Dan. Just, just right out the window. Just you start doing the plug for the team. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gave the plug and, and then, and then re now you're really going to go visit the site because clearly this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're talking about the comments in there. I know that much. So, yeah, well, I don't know. I lost it completely. Yeah. But somebody will tell us after they've listened to this. They show. will. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Was I talking about Kramer? What was I talking about? Yeah, we were talking about Kramer. Yeah. What was the comment? So I don't know exactly sure where you were going with it, but Well, if it comes back to me then then I'll, you know, it'll probably sure. be we'll probably be in the middle of some Paul DeYoung conversation and it'll hit me and I'll let you know. Yeah. But, there we go. But, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. that'll, that'll but you know, I got too. like I got like Robertson. This wasn't what I was gonna say. You he's athletic. You know, he can he can mm -hmm. hit a little bit. He's I know what I was going to say now. He came back to me. He's a system guy. He's been around right. for a while, you know, and I think the Cardinals, um, they're a heartless corporation, but they're not. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like, like, yeah, there's a bottom line and this is a business. And, and it's, it's sometimes hard for us as fans to remember that. But. They did not have to put Kramer Robertson. We talked about this. You and I did. Right. Um, they did not have to put Kramer Robertson on the 40-man roster and give him a, a two-day call-up. They could have just waited with the Paul DeYoung transaction, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and waited for Edmundo Sosa to clear um, his rehab and then just made the made the move then. it would, From the timing, it would have been a little bit more awkward. Instead, at the beginning of a series, it might have been – at the end of a series, but it would have worked. Right. And, but instead they made the choice to give a guy who's devoted his professional career to the Cardinals and been a good soldier to give him a cup of coffee in the majors. Cause he, cause he'd earned it and let him show off his athleticism by pinch running, you know, and then, then having an, a bat in an RBI situation. And that's, that's a great reward. And it didn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense from a roster management standpoint because now the roster is full, the 40-man roster is full. And, yeah, you know, Kramer Robertson's probably a guy that you could, you know, send through waivers at some point and he'll probably clear. But but they chose to do that anyway to give him an opportunity to to reach the major leagues. And that's – I don't know. I find that special. Like, that's – that's dreams being made for a guy that's, you know, given his all to the Cardinals that, you know, a lot of people don't know about, but, 
but it, it was a good moment in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, we often see those in, um, in September or we you used do. to see those in September. You, you can't yes, see them anymore. More, more. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. when you now only have two roster spots, which is something I've railed against before and I won't do it again, but <laughs> right. You know, I mean, you're right to be able to have that, that, that did pan out because, you know, as you said, they could have timed it different. Edmundo Sosa was down for two days. He could have been down for one, you know, yeah, I mean, right. they could have gone without a middle infield backup for a day and then just gone ahead and activated Sosa. Um, but this is probably the best chance that Graham Robinson has of, of making the major leagues. And, right. and it is nice to, to get a chance to see some of that. And, you know, I think we've talked a little bit about, or we've, I don't know if we've talked a little about it, but Ollie Marmol has talked about performance matters and, and things yeah. about that and, and how that, how they treat um, people like Paul DeYoung, but also others as well of how they're performing, you know, to keeping up Andre Pallante, you know, for one thing, you know, he was doing well, but when the rosters shrank, it would have been very easy for him to go down because he had options. And they were like, what kind of message does that send to the minor leaguers coming up that, you know, you want them to know that, they're going to get a fair shake or there's, you know, if they can produce, they're going to be here and they're going to be able yeah. to take that. And so I think that the Robins Robertson move plays into that as well. It's like, look, if you play well enough, if you can, you know, keep grinding, you don't have to be the top guy. You don't have to be the super prospect, but you still got a chance to at least get your cup of coffee. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I don't know that we want to talk about that, but the you know, sometimes when you when you do that, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing here. I, I'm trying to mm-hmm. agree with you by disagreeing with you, but <laughs> but Andre Polante, in my opinion, others can disagree. This is a debatable point. So, mm-hmm. listener, if you disagree with me, that's fine. I understand. There's two sides to this one, but I feel like the best development move for Andre Polante is getting him back into the AAA rotation. You know, he, yeah, okay. he's a starting pitcher prospect Fair. and this is a team that could use, <laughs> use some starting <laughs> pitcher prospect, especially someone that's shown, you know, he, um, what is Andre Palante shown? He can get guys out, right. you know, that would be great uh, from the rotation, but he's got some stuff to work on from the rotation. And there's some question about whether the velocity that he's showing as a reliever would, would show up over six or seven mm. innings. And that's a legitimate question. Um, but you know, the best thing for Palante from a development standpoint is probably letting him, you know, go back down to the Memphis and pitch in the rotation. But the best thing from a performance standpoint is, is doing exactly what he's doing. And so you do kind of have to weigh that. And the Cardinals have to weigh that. What, you know, where does performance matter versus development? Where does rewarding performance happen versus, you know, the need for development and, you know, it's a fine line between rewarding Kramer Robertson and rewarding Palante, but yet Palante is not developing maybe the way that he should. And Robertson gets a spot that maybe is going to be awkward later. You know, sometimes you got to mm-hmm. do that and, right. um, and make adjustments later. I mean, Jordan Hicks, for example, started tonight's game. Um, I kind of felt like it was a mistake to move him to the bullpen when they did. It was a Matheny type move. And I understood that, but he was a legit, elite starting pitcher prospect and a lot has happened since then, but you know, here we are three or four years later and they're finally trying to make that move back to what Jordan Hicks was at the beginning. 
for a variety of reasons, um, right. some of which don't really have a whole lot to do with wanting him to be a starter, but wanting to manage his workload and his schedule. Um, so, you know, sometimes it takes a, a while to circle around and kind of write some of those things that were done in a moment because of performance, but um, you, you kind of have to manage that and you kind of have to let it happen. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you, you might not get the kind of talent you want. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a balancing act between the short-term needs of an organization trying to win yeah. and the long-term needs of an organization trying to win and the players, you know, development. Right. Um, right. You know, I'm sure Jordan Hicks is not arguing the fact that he got to be in the major leagues after no. real, like, one year of minor league service. Yeah. Um, Although he might like a starter's salary, you know, exactly. the last couple of years. Exactly. That, and that's the, that's the flip side. You turn mm-hmm. Ennis's Cabrera and I'm, I'm not even saying these are bad moves. This right, problem when right. I always make this argument is that it gets interpreted as a bad decision. I'm not saying that, but you know, Ennis Cabrera, uh, um, uh, Helsley, Ryan Helsley, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of these guys, Alex Reyes, even, you know, um, were starters coming up in the minors and out of need, out of some of which performance, but mostly out of need though, they got, they got pushed into, uh, an accelerated bullpen role, and that's where they stayed and um, useful to the team. But I don't know. Some part of me thinks that if Ryan Helsley was a starter right, right now, yeah. uh, good things would be happening. Um, but um, yeah, you got to balance it. Yeah, you do. And, you know, you could have argued that maybe this winter you don't sign a Stephen Matz and you let a Hillsley have it. Um, yeah. You know, let him develop into it, kind of like you're seeing with you know, Jordan Hicks, you know, kind of develop out. But flip side of that is, you know, if you have two of those guys in your rotation, you're really kind of stretching the bullpen out. Um, Right. Right. So there's a lot of, a lot of different dynamics and things going into play there. Um, Okay. We've danced around the big topic. We have, let's go. Let's do it. We we better get to it. We danced really well, but let's do it. Let's go. Paul yes. DeYoung, which has been the topic of conversation right. for a number of years now, but especially this year, um, gets demoted this you know on Monday to Memphis in a move. I don't. Nobody was surprised that this happened I, in the fact that he obviously could use this, but I think there was some surprise that the Cardinals actually did this, and they didn't yeah. just you know bench him. They didn't you know just. You know, say, okay, we're going to let him you know, work in the cage. They went the, the whole distance of sending him down to Memphis. Um, and I said, I didn't see that coming. Did you? Um, well, no. Let me just say this. I had mentioned it in a couple posts and a couple tweets as a possibility just because mm-hmm. that's what you say. You know, I mean, like, right. like what, what, yeah, what are you going to do? Theoretically possible. Yeah, but... theoretically possible. What are you going to do with him? You, you, it wouldn't be beneficial to him to to be in a bench role and try to work through his struggles. That's, that usually doesn't mm-hmm. work. Right. Um, but they also, you know, his struggles have, have are now so well documented over such a long period of time that something had to be done, you know, eventually I've, I've had that June 1st date in my mind is what I've mm-hmm. just kept sort of saying over and over again. They, it, it splits the season up into thirds and that's the day where you can rest absolutely secure that there's no chance of, of a prospect coming up and getting that extra year, you know, yeah. uh, from a service time perspective. And so that's kind of, you know, Paul DeYoung, I felt like was going to get two months and they shorted him by like three weeks. 
Uh, well, and, and especially when you consider that the season didn't start April 1st either, it's probably right. probably just got a month is all it got. It was it was very interesting. It was a point that I had not ever considered because I don't think about the legalities of baseball. But Paul DeYoung came up, you know, on May 28th, I think. It oh, was. did you pick this up too? Yeah, I, I go ahead. I, yeah. I, I heard the same thing this week and it's, it's, yeah. it explains everything in my opinion, but go ahead. Yeah. That, that in just a couple of weeks here at the end of the month, he's at five years and he can't be demoted without his permission. Right. Um, so with the Cardinals making this move now, they kind of, you know, they still had the, the option to do that. Still had, they still had yeah. control over the situation. They didn't want to right. lose that control. Yeah. And that, that probably played as much as anything, but you know, it was, I mean, it's fairly clear that the bottom had really dropped out for Paul DeYoung. I know you wrote about yeah. it uh, this week and you can talk a little bit about that post because it was really you know, well done, well researched, but you know, even if you just look at the surface level of things, there was really nothing going on. And especially it felt like it was getting worse. Um, yeah. And better. Yeah. Well, I, I did write about it. Uh, and you can, you can quickly or easily do a little search over at Viva Alberto's and pull the, pull the post up. I, I titled the post, um, the Paul DeYoung post. I didn't want to write mm-hmm. because the reality is, as, as a heart of a time as Cardinals fans have given Paul DeYoung um, recently, and I think you guys were talking about it last week. You know, he's he's probably the longest tenured shortstop that the Cardinals have had since Ozzie Smith. Yeah. And he is he's a huge success story. If you just think of his story and not his actual performance, here's a guy mm-hmm. that, you know, wasn't really drafted or considered as a shortstop. Um, marginal hitting talent coming up through the system performed well. If you look at his minor league stats, they're pretty, right. they're, they're relatively impressive considering his prospect pedigree, mm-hmm. which is always something we could debate, especially when it comes to Cardinals. People have been whiffing on, on Cardinal prospect pedigrees for a long time, but um, you know, not, not extremely athletic, not, not the kind of guy that you would expect would be able to take to a position like shortstop, but he did. And not only did he sort of learn how to play shortstop on the fly in the high minors, but then came up and really produced defensively at a very demanding position on a team that demands a lot out of their shortstops. I mean, we are as, you know, picky about shortstop defense as any franchise because of our history. Right. And well, and well, we should be, but and yeah, you probably I probably will have the record for most home runs by a Cardinals shortstop for quite a while, just because of the quantity of, of years that he played and his one true skill, his only real skill besides some defensive ability, was hitting the ball out of the ballpark. So, in the age of the home run, um, Paul DeYoung provided something the Cardinals have never had, which is power from the shortstop position while playing quality defense, and that is something worth recognizing and celebrating to some extent Mm -hmm. but you also got to know when it's when it's over and i'm not saying that it's over forever but the stats indicate that the young has been pretty much in um, a continual state of decline since his his first day of arriving in the majors you know his first year was a little bit lucky but it was it was a fun year i mean he he hit uh you know pretty pretty well that rookie season 
mm-hmm. um, surprising amount of power. I think he surprised the league with his ability to drive the ball out of the ballpark. Hit 285. Who would have thought that that Paul DeYoung, yeah. as we know him today, would hit 285 as a 23-year-old rookie, 532 slugging percent. I mean, just these are numbers we'd never seen before from a shortstop. Even some, you know, Edgar Edgar Renteria would have hit 285. I'm sure Eckstein right. hit 285, but not with that same level of, you know, just impressive power. But, you know, from there, it was just, it wasn't straight downhill, but it was pretty significant drop. Um, that same stat I mentioned before, I think, tells the story really well. Weighted runs created. Hmm. His rookie season, 123, 23 percentage points above league average. The next year... 2018, 103. The next year, 101. The next year, this is 2020 when he had COVID, 87. Then last year, 86. And then this year, 29. It just, and by the time you get down to 86, you're, you're down in a Raphael for call territory. I mean, you're, that's Cesaris tourists, you know, kinds of, yeah. you know, levels of, of offensive production. And um, the defense plays, but it just, you got to have something a little bit more from the bat. And uh, yeah. it was the, it was the loss of power, the decline in home runs, um, the inability to do anything but hit fly balls, mm-hmm. um, inability to make consistent contact that that plagued him from the very beginning of his career. That was not new. That was expected. Um, that just got to where it wasn't manageable anymore. Yeah, yeah. Longtime listeners of this show have known because Alan and I have talked about Paul DeYoung. Yeah, at least through till 2019, because I have always tended to point out that, you know, he had 31 doubles and 30 homers in 2019, and yet his OPS plus was 99. So he was, you know, in that by that margin, just slightly below average, even with a 30, 30 double, 30 homer season. Right. Right. I mean, I think that just, and you're right. The defense, he doesn't get the credit for the defense here. And if you're going to hit 30 home runs um, and put up an OPS plus of, of league average and play good defense, then yeah, there's yeah. there's probably room for you. But, you know, he was an all-star that year and probably right. didn't necessarily need to be. It's, it's like that April was great. And that after that April, it's just been a, a free fall pretty much the whole time. And, you know, he's had, you know, we've talked, you, you, you wrote, I wrote about it. You wrote about it, had COVID. He's had yeah. the, the side issues, had the rib and, you right. know, some injury situations and things like that. But, you know, after we saw him in spring this year, kind of thought, okay, maybe, you know, maybe he's healthy. Maybe he's made these adjustments that we, you know, you read all those stories in the winter about how he, you know, went to this place and went to that place and he's yeah. got a better mental mindset. And, but you know what, well, we hear that, that every year from right. players that are struggling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's great. It's, it's, it's admirable. Players should do it, you know, but working out all winter with driveline or whatever can help you a little bit, but you know, it's not going to, it's not going to change who you are as a hitter. Yeah. My father mentioned it to, to me this week that I said, it's a comparison. I didn't really think about it. And I don't know how much it holds water, but I think it has some merit. He mentioned Paul DeYoung in the same sentence as Alan Craig. Um, you know, yeah. obviously Alan Craig, dropped off a steeper cliff because he was good for two or three. I mean, he was really good yeah, for two or three instead years. Instead of like just, six seasons or five seasons, it was like uh, three seasons, right, for Craig. Right. Yeah, me, he I'm was. I'm going to pull that up while we. Yeah, I've got him up here. You know, in 2013, 
he had an OPS plus of 129. He was, you know, had MVP votes and things of that nature. In 2014, he's traded to Boston because he's hitting 215. Yeah. You know, right. 100 points of average the next year, and he never, never recovered from no, that. No, no, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Same age, you know, it's a, 28, 29. Yeah, same point in yeah. his career. Similar kind of, yeah. kind of. Well, not really. I'm going to change that. Let me, let me scratch that. Yeah, not I all mean, that similar. Alan Craig had a pretty impressive contact tool. That's the surprising part mm -hmm. is that Craig could really make contact and, and had a good hit tool, and the power was there, but he wasn't pure power like Dion was. Right, but you know, the Cardinals trade into Boston, and he spends more time in. Pawtucket, I think is what their trouble at AAA yeah. team is, uh, you know, than he ever did in St. Louis. Went to yeah. the Padres, stayed in their minor league system for a year or so, and, you know, kind of washed out of baseball. And and you yeah. would not have yeah. thought that watching the 2011 season in the World Series that in four years he was going to be done. No, know? no. But, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. And it's, man, it's, and again, two games in the minor leagues, you hate to, you know, you don't want to draw a lot of conclusions, but, you know, Paul DeYoung still hasn't gotten a hit in those two games either. He went over five right. tonight with three strikeouts. Right. Um, you know, when you're, when you're gone down to, you know, try to face lesser pitching and try to, to work, and, and, you know, again, working on something, who knows, you know, don't want to, you know, write him off after, you know, eight or nine at bats in, in, in AAA, but, you know, after, you know, you look at this, you know, come next week, come two weeks from now, and if he's still hitting, under 200 at, at triple a, then you really start to wonder, boy, are we going to see Paul DeYoung again? He's got a contract for $9 million next year. The Cardinals are going to have yeah. to pay no matter, but you know, and we can talk about some of the other contracts they may have to eat this year. Cause there's a few that, that might. So, you know, do they do that? Do they, I don't know what they do with him. Honestly, I, yeah. I have trouble imagining them just letting him go, but I don't know that he can play in the minors again next year. Yeah. And I kind of wrote about that a little bit, you know, at the end of the, my piece mm -hmm. um, on Via Albertos is that I'm struggling to figure out like what, what he could do at double a, that would convince me that he's back because right. like what he struggles with. Um, and this is, this is not news to anyone that's watching him over his career, but it's always nice when the stats match with what we're seeing with our eyes, right? That's that's what you love as a mm -hmm. baseball analyst. And what we see is a, a lot of strikeouts and a lot of fly balls. And some of those fly balls leave the park, but a lot of them, you know, find their way to to, to miss. And, Especially this year. Yeah. And and as you know, the biggest thing about him is that as as the league itself has transitioned from primarily a fastball league. To primarily mm -hmm. a, a breaking ball league, or at least you know breaking plus off speed kind of thing. A lot of slide. I mean, baseball right now is just throwing sliders like crazy. Almost twenty five percent of all pitches are sliders, not even just curveballs or, or changes, but sliders. Um, and you know, fastball percentages are down twenty or forty five percent, forty six percent, somewhere right in there. And and you know, that's where it is for for Paul DeYoung. is is about 46 percent fastballs. Lots of off-speed or lots of breaking pitches, some off-speed pitches, a lot of sliders, and that's the way it is in the in the majors. I, I would have to talk to some other people, but I imagine you're going to see more fastballs in the minor leagues in AAA, right, and right. you're going to see breaking pitches there 
but you're not going to see refined breaking pitches. And so throughout his career, Paul DeYoung has shown recently that he, he cannot hit off speed or breaking pitches. He just, he just can't do it. I can pull up the stats, but but you guys just have to trust me on that one. I yeah, I've, yeah, I've the, looked at the, the baseball, baseball yeah. savant in the last yeah, two or three years, especially. It's, it's like, you know, it's like less than 100, if that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's ugly. You know, it's ugly. Yeah. And that's the, but, but he hit fastballs so well. And if you're seeing 60% fastballs, it makes it makes up for it. Tyler O'Neill mm-hmm. and others, Harrison Bader in particular, was that way too. And, you know, you, you can make that work. So, so he goes down to AAA. And let's say he, he continued, which we, we've seen this already, he continues to strike out at too high a rate and continues mm-hmm. to hit fly balls. But if more of those leave the park, because he's seeing more worse fastballs and fewer bad or good breaking balls and a whole bunch of bad breaking balls, that doesn't prove really anything to me. Right. It just proves that, yeah, bad pitching, he could still hit it. Well, we need to know how he can do against good pitching. And we've got four years of data telling us that that's not all that encouraging. So I wish him all the best. And I certainly hope that he can figures out what it is that he needs to figure out, but I don't see the part of his game that can improve. I just, I just don't see it. And some BABIP luck might help, but it's not bad luck. And it's not, someone mentioned getting some, I think most said get some confidence, you know, it's not an issue of confidence. It's just, this is who he is. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I hate I really, as I said, this is the post I don't want to write, but because I always try to leave readers with something they can hang their hats on. And but I, I really struggled with that with the young and and I don't know. I don't know what he can do that would really get him back to what he was even in 2019. Yeah, you're you're right. I can't. It's a little hard to be bad at luck when he's not putting it in play. Yeah, know? if you can't um, get the ball in play, then exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and even in 2019, as a good example, you talk about bad bit luck. In 2019, his batting average on balls in play—that's what bad bit is—was 259, and average is 300. Yeah. And so you know, it, it becomes an issue. It's like, well, maybe he just had bad luck in 2019. Well, no, he just doesn't make contact. You know, and, and when he does, it's uh, most of the time it's poor contact because it's a fly ball and home runs, as, as you probably know, Dana, home runs don't count as part of your batting average in, in Babbitt. It's not play, a ball yeah. in play. It's a ball that's out of play. So when all you do is hit home runs, you, you don't, it just shows how little of his contact, you know, finds its way outside of gloves. It just, it doesn't happen. He's just not the kind of hitter he is. Lots yeah, of loft, but nothing else. It's really interesting, you know, pulling up the pitches on everyone baseball savant, you know, back when he broke in, in 2017, he hit 324 on breaking pitch on off speed pitches. Yeah. And, yeah. Early you know, in his career, it, he was, he was a little bit better about it. And I, I didn't know what to make of that other than that it was five years ago. So, you know, four well, years ago, 2018, I think he was pretty good too. It's uh, also very interesting. Well, and it's also very interesting to look at this, though. He hit 324 on off-speed pitches in 2017. Yeah. But his expected batting average was 224. Oh, uh, His expected catch. batting average on yeah, so, pitches was so 280. So he so got the, lucky his first year. You're right. So the, the batted ball data, the the how hard he hit the ball and the types mm-hmm. of ball he hit, didn't support the kind of batting average on off-speed or breaking pitches that he had, which shows up the later. That usually, it can't. It can, it's not always predictive. Um, it really tells you what should have happened, but not what will happen. These expected stats. And, but yeah, in that case, it showed up the next, the next yeah. few years. Yeah. 
yeah, it's a uh, man, you know, looking at this this year, whiff percentage on breaking pitches was yeah. 46.2. 46, I mean, yeah, percent, right. And 31% on off speed pitches. I mean, you're right. You're right. I mean, I think there's going to be, if Paul DeYoung, especially in, you know, ballparks that are somewhat smaller, especially as the weather warms up and especially if it gets, you know, a little bit aloft, if Paul DeYoung hits four or five home runs in a three week span, he should. Yeah. And, you know, and Mundo Sosa and, and Brendan Donovan maybe struggle a little bit. I mean, see, there's going to be some, I don't want to say some clamor, cause, but for some, especially casual fans, they're going to say, well, why aren't they bringing DeYoung back up? And yeah. like, they, they might. They might. Partly because they're paying him and, and hope that some of that translates to the major leagues. But Well, and it kind of goes to that thing that we're talking about with performance and, and things like that, mm-hmm. too, is that, you know, you and, and we kind of saw this with Dexter Fowler a little bit and with Matt Carpenter as well, that you want to be able to show other players, potential free agents, that you're willing to give a veteran player who has an established track record in an all-star game, you know, in his previous, you're willing to give them time to work through their struggles. Um, that is not a huge deal for the superstar caliber players that we hope they would bring in, but they don't bring in, but it is a big deal for, for example, a guy like Corey Dickerson or, you know, some of these other guys that sort of right. fill out the back end of a roster um, where you got to be able to guarantee him playing time and you got to kind of be able to guarantee him that, you know, they won't let a prospect come up and take their spot in three weeks. Yeah. And, you know, when I talked about contracts, the Cardinals might have to eat. Corey Dickerson was, was one of them. Yeah. Right. Just because, you know, we've seen Juan Yepes. I mean, granted that was, you know, his first week. We'll see how the league adjusts to him and how he adjusts to the league. Yeah. He, he won't be, I love Juan Yepes. Obviously (laughs) I was, I took a lot of heat for talking about how much I wanted to see Juan Yepes instead of Albert Pujols. I took a lot of heat for that. Yes, you did. Maybe now I'm, maybe now, I mean, Juan Yepes is exciting young player. I mean, he's just, just a, a joy to watch play baseball. Um, but he's not going to be this good forever. So, yeah. Yeah. I gave you some of that heat too. You did. So, yeah. I, um, I knew yeah, what I was yeah. doing. I knew what I was walking into. <laughs> I watched out for people too when I was a kid. <laughs> right. And, I, and again, that was, it was not that, uh, I don't know that any of us argued necessarily. And I, I don't know that I did that. Albert Pujols made the team better. It just made it yeah, no. more fun to watch, I think. Or, you know, yeah, the, for a few weeks. Thing. My, right. my point was always makes them funner for a few for a few weeks. But I think even yeah. right now we're seeing some of the some of the Twitter complaining and stuff like that. You know, you're not hearing, yeah. oh, the Cardinals are losing again. But Albert Pujols was there. You don't you don't hear that very often. But yeah, I, I mean, cool. even I get excited about, you know, it comes up to, to bad. I, I watch. Don't really expect right. much, but I watch because it's, well, it's and history, people that know? are going to the stadium. Yeah, that you know. Yeah, well, look at the stadium. I mean, I'm just yeah. just looking up there right now. They're showing the whole stadium, and it's it's full ish. Yeah. And that's, I mean, uh, yeah, just after 2020, and then most of 2021 without fans there. Mm-hmm. It's just good to see, and yeah. you know, yeah, just just good to see. So again, we we kind of talked you know, a couple weeks as we, as in general Cardinal fans yeah, about this idea of, okay, when they move on from DeYoung and however that was going to be, that's when Nolan Gorman's coming in. And yet the Cardinals <laughs> not only have not moved Tommy Edmond over to short, you know, they're playing Brandon Donovan there. 
Right. And they're keeping right. Nolan Gorman down. What do you, I mean, what do you a, think? A, I'm a not... fascinating decision, as I said in one of my tweets. To It's not a bad <laughs> one. I find, I find it fascinating that, that they would move a non-shortstop to shortstop to let him have some have his shot at things uh, while keeping a career shortstop. I'm not in the majors, but you know, Ed, Tommy Edmund was a career right. shortstop until he got right. to the majors and then he came up as a third baseman. So, you know, there's that. So they have people that <laughs> people that question Tommy Edmund's arm. I'm like, you realize he came up as a third baseman anyway. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, is your question specifically regarding Gorman or about Edmund or about the whole scenario? I think it's more about the Hulson. Uh, one one part of it is why are the Cardinals? And I I get it somewhat, but I'm I'm really just a little bit curious. And I don't, so I don't want to say this like yeah accus- accusatory, but sure. why are the Cardinals so determined that Tommy Edmonds should play second? Is it because he won the Gold Glove last year? If they think that, or is there some reason that they? I mean, you're right. They he came up as a shortstop. He's played third base is there some reason that they don't necessarily want him playing shortstop in the big leagues? I honestly, Daniel, I don't know mm-hmm. because it just seems it's a, it just, it just seems like it makes so much sense. Doesn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. if you, you, you can look at the arm, I think, I think what people are doing, they're trying to explain this. And so they're searching for, potential reasons why something might be right. Including, right. for example, that he might not have the strongest arm. Well, no, you probably, they're probably right. It doesn't have the strongest arm. It's probably shortstop caliber. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe not gold glove caliber, but when, when we saw, I mean, it's not like Tommy Edmond hasn't played shortstop in the majors. He was the first choice for the club when DeYoung was out in 2020. Who was the guy that got the starting gig at shortstop? It was immediately Tommy Edmond, you know, no question about it. Now they had you know different situation back then a couple of years ago, but but he's you know he's done it uh, at the majors and looked really good there, frankly, and the stats bear that out. Small sample size, but you know you could he didn't he didn't stink. You would know if he did, right? So you know I don't I don't really know. I think there's some comfort there. I think um, I you know I think there's a little bit of this sort of seniority thing and performance thing that we're looking at as well because. You know, one of the things that I can't remember if it was Derek Gould or Jeff Jones um, talked about, but but Mo um, or posted about, I think it came from Mo talking about how they want to give, or maybe it was Marmol. I might be confused on who said this, but I apologize mm-hmm. to about that. But but they want to give Edmondo Sosa, you know, a, a shot at this. Yeah. And I'm not a big believer in Sosa as a starter, but from what he did last year, if you think about you know, sort of, um, oh, the pecking order a little bit, Sosa would be next uh, on it. And he probably does earn a little bit more time. And yeah, he had COVID and yeah, he was down and the timing was unfortunate, but he probably should be the next guy in line, which is again, sort of interesting that, that uh, Donovan is getting, (laughs) getting these starts. Um, but, um, I, I just don't know. It seems like they, they've always made space for their prospects. That has always happened right. when their prospects are ready. And we can talk about, that's another conversation we can talk about. But if, if they need to make space at some point soon for Nolan Gorman and his offensive stats sure seem to indicate that needs to happen immediately, if not soon, um, then the, the 
you, you say this a lot. And I, I agree with you every time you say it. The path of mm-hmm. least resistance mm-hmm. is not, you know, displacing Tommy Edmund to a bench role, but it's moving Tommy Edmund across the diamond where there's an obvious gap and letting Nolan Gorman come up and play second. That just makes sense to me. Um, I think completely believe that Edmund can handle it. He said that he could. I don't feel like the Cardinals organization has displayed any kind of lack of confidence in Tommy Edmund's ability to play there. I think in some ways they've basically said, yeah, he hasn't played there and we'd like to let him work out there a little bit before we throw him over in the most important position. That's not catcher on the infield. Um, So that's part of it too. But I just, I don't know. I really don't know what they're thinking um, right now with that. Other than perhaps they just want Edmondo supposed to have a little shot for a little while. Yeah. And then, which is why they're playing Brendan Donovan. Yeah. So, I mean, there goes yeah. that argument. Well, that's a, and that is a little bit of a hot hand, right? Cause Donovan had started to show a little bit. Um, and Sosa has been out. Uh, yeah. I am a little bit surprised that Sosa hasn't gotten. I would have thought, I would have thought that he would have been in there tonight, but Donovan does yeah. bat, bat left-handed and Marmol rightfully loves him because he is, yeah. he is the kind of player that ca- that coaches. I don't even mean this as a criticism. You know, he's the kind of player that coaches love. I mean, he just, he's got grit and determination and skill and flexibility. I mean, he's just a National League, you know, manager's dream, even though, we, even though the National League's think. defunct. But, but yeah. still, you know, it's, it's, you still love that kind of player. And he's got that in spades and he's got some real offensive ability. Um, right. So it makes sense. But, you know, I haven't seen him much at shortstop. I'd be surprised if he could just take to the position immediately. Um, you know, it just hasn't, done it you know tommy edmonds played you know more shortstop in the major leagues than brendan donovan has played at shortstop his entire you know career including college so you know totally new thing for him i do wonder my only thing and i don't have any kind of stats to back this up i don't know if there are out there i'm sure there are and and you could probably maybe in some stats for everything out there yeah yeah exactly (laughs) right i just wonder if the cardinals Obviously, ground ball heavy. I wonder if they get more balls towards second base than they do short, or they, you know, something of that nature where they feel like second base is more important to be a steady gold glove type place than, and, and shortstop, you can play around on the edges. I mean, well, again, that, I don't know that that's true, but that's that, just you know, kind of wonder. I wonder. Yeah, that would defy conventional wisdom. Um, yeah. but sometimes this, the stats defy convention. Sometimes what we think is true is not true. Um, I don't, I'd be really surprised if that was the case with shortstop true. considering, you know, positional value over time and all that stuff. But, um, well, you see, that got me, you got me thinking, Daniel, when I stop, when I start thinking, I stop, I stop talking, <laughs> <That is laughs> which is great for a podcast. Uh, but yeah, I, they, I'll, I'll put it this way. And I think it was Kyle Reese that planted this thought in my mind. The Cardinals kind of act that way because, you know, I mean, Colton Wong, of course he was one of their, you know, number, you know, first round picks and, and obviously was a phenomenal defender, but, but they, they have put more of a player emphasis on second base than they, than they have recently. Of course, well, Paul DeYoung, you know, but like I said, I've been watching this happen for a couple of years. So, so they had shortstop covered, but they've had better defenders at second base for quite a while than they have at shortstop. And they plowed through a number of shortstops over the years that some of which had fairly questionable defensive abilities. Um, So yeah, they've made for some reason, second base into a prime defensive position 
and and you know with the way they're acting right now it does make you think that maybe they think it's more valuable than say i would um but uh, yeah i don't know I, I don't know if it was me brendan donovan would be starting at, at second tonight and tommy edmund would be over there working out you know at at short and sosa would be getting his shot because he has a terrific defender and mm. you know gorman would be knocking on the door you know just knocking as hard as he can be yeah. i mean because i think that's you know there's there is that you know gorman's has slipped a little bit and he's still striking out quite a bit at, at the minor league level so there are arguments that he still needs a little bit of development yeah i don't um, think those are particularly good arguments personally you know a strikeout well, rate over uh, over a few weeks just doesn't bother me um, because of sample sizes, uh, you just just not yeah. talking about that. And plus, when you're talking about a guy that's already hit, I think 13 home runs, 12, 13, something like that. Uh, I can't mm. remember the one he hit yesterday. He hits one every day. It seems like so. Yeah, yeah. you know, is uh, it, it's just it, it's such an odd, it's such a, it's such a statistical oddity that mm. it it changes the way sort of everything else looks. And, and when you're, <laughs> I've seen this a couple of times in the world, when you're just hot like that, you're just swinging and he's sure. just kind of swinging right now. And there are holes in his game. And I think there's some development, you know, that, that still could happen. But um, there's one thing to say that he is developed. And there's another thing to say that he's ready for the major leagues. Because I think I think what I've been hearing from a lot of fans is, well, he still has this to work on, or he mm. might struggle when he comes up, and I think we saw that from Dylan Carlson and and some others of these young prospects. You know, Tommy Edmond was not Juan Yepes is not a young prospect. Um, from these young prospects, they they're ready and they're out of developmental milestones in the minors before they are capable of producing at their mature level at the major leagues, but they still have to go somewhere. You can't bury them and you can't bury Nolan Gorman, one of the best hitting prospects in baseball in AAA for two seasons. You can't do that because he just, he's not, I mean, AAA pitching is not getting any better. At some point he has to see what he, what a major league pitcher looks like and he has to Mm. struggle against them. And he will just like Dylan Carlson did, just like Tyler O'Neill did. Because he has to know what he doesn't know, and he doesn't know what he doesn't know until he knows it. I wonder, though, you know, we've seen that, right? We've seen Bobby Witt Jr. Yeah. not come yeah. out. We've had a couple of others. I think Julio Rodriguez out of Seattle. I haven't looked at his test, but you know, seeing some stuff about him maybe struggling. I wonder if there's also that idea of wanting the team to be better before he comes up. So he's not kind of heralded as a savior and then struggles and everything gets sideways. Yeah. I mean, again, that's a, yeah, that's kind of a, a quality, a qualitative instead of quantitative, you know, reason to keep him down. And I don't know that it's a necessarily exciting one, but you know, right now everybody thinks Nolan Gorman is going to come up and, and, and light this team on fire. Yeah. If and Nolan I, Gorman that, comes up and hits like Paul DeYoung, then what, yeah, you know. that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous thing because well, for, for one thing, Bush stadium suppresses power. Right. Mm-hmm. And Gorman, that's, not that Gorman can't do a lot of things well. He can do a lot of things well with the bat. But right, right now, his primary skill is is crushing fastballs, you know, um, as hard as anyone else can hit them. Just, just crushes them, right? 
And so, yeah, I mean, that, that is a hard thing to do at the major league level when you see when you see pitchers that throw breaking pitches and all these sliders that I'm talking about that you've never seen before. And, yeah, the odds of Gorman coming up and even being as mature looking as Juan Yepes, um mm-hmm. are are pretty slim because he's not that mature of a of a hitter. Um, I would I would say and your point about, you know, not having any pressure on him is a really good one. I would say that there's a good chance that Nolan Gorman will come up and look an awful lot like Dylan Carlson did when he came up. Yeah. Now, Carlson's got a different game, but he was also a more mature hitter. And we saw how much Carlson struggled against changeups. He'd never seen major league changeups, and he just didn't know what to do with them for three weeks. And he got down, he went down, he probably saw, you know, a hundred different changeups from a machine for a few weeks and came back and, you know, was was more right, was more of himself. And, but but Gorman has to have a chance to have that struggles. And so if it can be at a time where the club's not relying on him to fix the offense, all the better. Yeah. And in a time where he has to, also doesn't have to worry so much about playing a position that's still new to him. To me, that that's kind of the issue and kind of what I've settled on is that all of these things are what they are, but Nolan Gorman is still a new second baseman and on a team that demands – performance from their infielders even if moving Tommy Edmond over even if he's good there you're still you still need someone that can really get the ball when Dakota Hudson and Steven Matz and Miles Miklas are on the hill oh and and Wainwright too for that matter well Jordan Hicks I mean all of them all of them and Gorman you know is he ready for that defensively Uh, you'd have to defer to someone else but but everything I've been rating says sort of but not at the level we're accustomed to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of of factors. I, I do feel like I've always been one that argues and I think it's still the case. Cardinals don't worry as much about service time. I know a lot of people tend to think. I agree with you on that one. Oh, more more recently they've had to, because they've had some elite hitting prospects and they haven't in the past. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, you know, if they if they worry about service time, Jordan Hicks wouldn't have jumped from single. Line, no, so. no. Um, so, um, okay, so we've gone over our hour, but there are a couple of things <laughs> as Paul Goldschmidt makes it yeah, eight to two. Something um, of a game, yeah. A um, couple of points I want to ask you about out of the bullpen. Okay. One of which, and make sure I get my words right. Um, cause I got a decent chance of getting fined and my wife, Michelle, you know, gosh, darn it. Um, okay. Well, my internet gave out on me in the middle of my conversation because <laughs> I think that he was, it was tired of listening to me ramble, but there were a couple of points that I wanted to make here, or at least get your input on. So we're going to stash this to the end of it. But, um, Cody Whitley, uh, yeah. goes down when, when, um, Jake Walsh comes up, um, his last two outings were, were struggle. Um, you know, he walked four guys against the Giants. Uh, didn't get any outs um, as, as for one of those. Do you think it was something that they saw in him that that needs to be worked on? Or is it just a, he had options and we needed fresh arms? Yeah, I think it's probably that. I mean, it's, it's possible. It was the, the first of those. Um, I didn't get to... Well, I got to watch part of that outing, and he didn't look particularly <laughs> particularly good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, up until that point uh, this season, um, you know, he had been the kind of Cody Whitley that 
we expected. You right. know, one of the things about this this type of um, league environment that we have right now is that guys come up and down. And so mm-hmm. I, it seemed very obvious to me pretty early in spring training when other guys were getting looks and Whitley was sort of on the back burner, um, which is odd. The reason why I find that odd is because he sort of exited last season as, as a go-to reliever. And so I oh. kind of wondered whether that would carry forward or not. But it looked pretty early to me like they had him pegged as that Memphis shuttle kind of guy, not because of um, a lack of talent or ability or, or anything, just because if you're going to have short inning starters and use guys like, like um, you know, Jordan Hicks and to some degree even like Matt's probably should be going fewer innings, and definitely Dakota Hudson. Um, you know, you've got you've to have long relievers and you've got to be able to cycle through relievers. And so I, I really feel like, you know, maybe they saw something that Whitley needed to work on, but mostly they, they burned Whitley up for a few days and they knew with Wayne Wright on the COVID IL too, that, you know, they might need Packy Naughton, uh, uh, you know, right. I don't know why they would need him, but um, you know, they might've thought they might've needed someone right. that could in an emergency, give them three or four innings. They are, pitched are you tonight. Denigrating the guy through. wearing number 70. I, I <laughs> well, you know, it's not about the number or his name. I'm a, I'm a fan of, of, and he might be a. I'm not trying to say he's not going to be a valuable pitcher, but I don't think right. anyone expects him to be a you know a multi inning no. starter no. for the Cardinals. No. He's there to eat innings. Uh, but but if you look at it based on performance, I don't know how anyone, frankly, could look at Cody Whitley's performance and say, yeah, he needs to go down. And then look at Packy. You know, I'm just, I like to call him just Packy. I don't well, know sure. if that's okay or not. It's but fine. look at Packy's performance and say, oh, yeah, that guy needs to stay up because, right. yeah, Whitley wasn't very good for a couple of starts, but has been, or outings, has been pretty good. And really, you know, Packy hadn't shown a whole lot, you know, so far, uh, other than the ability to, you know, fill in innings when the game is not on the line. Well, and we've seen that this, you know, filling innings is a big thing, you know, it again, is. with Jordan Hicks and, and others maybe not going as deep. So I think that did play a, probably the biggest part of it. Um, it was just very interesting. I looked at, you know, a couple of games of Whitley, just kind of comparing, you know, a, a game earlier from last year and a game from this year that he struggled in. And, you know, he was missing a lot higher. And Yeah, he misses highs when he, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he's off. And, you know, you, you start wondering, okay, is there an arm issue? Is there something else? Kyle Reese pointed out there was he seemed to be losing his grip on I think on his changeup yeah yeah so and that's the ball again you know not necessarily yeah. the new ball but just the, right. the different grip uh you know the post spider tack era yeah so not that cody whitley was using spider tack just that the way the balls are getting handled is is they're slick so mm-hmm. yeah and probably gonna have that uh, you know a couple just a couple games in a row you start to think okay is there yeah. is there's something here it's gone down to memphis he's thrown one inning giving up a couple hits but no runs I'm sure he'll be back pretty soon. And you're right. I, they don't use it. And that kind of ties into another part of question that we'll talk about here in a second. But, you know, Cody Whitley ended last year. He didn't give up a run in September. Um, yeah. He seems to be a guy that, yeah, you could, you could rely on. And he didn't give up a run, I think, till like, you know, those maybe one run before this, this last two weeks, those last two outings. Right. So, yeah. you know, he's been very effective. We've also seen, obviously, we talked about it a little earlier, Ryan Helsley be just dominant. And yet, you know, again, tonight, a situation the Cardinals were behind, but, you know, we're still in the game. They don't go to Helsley. Helsley hasn't pitched since they faced the Giants last weekend. You know, he didn't pitch yeah. at all in the Baltimore series. You know, 
it feels like there are times we've seen that, that he's missed complete series. What, I mean, I, I feel like Ali Marmol has, you know, knows what he's got in, in Helsley. We've seen him make, you know, be in high leverage situations, but those guys got to pitch some point in time. Anyway, you can't just hold them out for the perfect situation. No, no. And what, what is the perfect situation? Right. You know, the way that they get, and Marmol, you know, Ali is a, is a rookie manager, but, Boy, do I say this this early? I've been thinking it. <laughs> I hate to say it. That's particularly I hate to say it here recorded. But I feel like I feel like Marmol should know better, you know, than to yeah. than to let someone like Helsley, a multi-inning capable reliever, y- y- not be used in situations where what's their problem right now? Right, their their starter. They've got a hurt. Or, well, I guess he's not hurt. You know, Wainwright's been out with COVID, right. and Hicks can't go deep into games yet both because of performance and because of pitch counts although the pitch counts are starting to become less of a deal he's just not getting deep into games um and and the same with some of these other guys well that's when you use these multi-inning relievers and sometimes the best use of ryan helsley is not the eighth inning sometimes maybe it is the fourth fifth sixth and seventh innings Maybe not. Maybe not all four. But the right. way he's <laughs> the way he's ripping through batters right now, he could go through three innings in, in you know 30, 35, 40 pitches, and yeah, maybe you burn him for a few days. But that's better than giving those innings to to Packy, um, or you know when when uh, Verhagen was up, you know I, I actually I kind of expect Verhagen to be pretty good to be honest, um, but. Ooh. You know, you don't want to give multiple innings to your worst guys. You want to give multiple innings to the guys that can get guys out. And especially with the number of relievers that they have that I feel like are quality quality relievers, you know, they probably only have like one or two guys that I don't want out there very often. They can run Whitley and Cabrera and Gallegos and Helsley and to some degree Whitgren, definitely Woodford, who's not pitching so well tonight, but has been pitching pretty well lately. You could run them for two or three innings and just use a different guy the next night. And, right. and yeah, you burn up individuals at different times, but you don't burn up the whole pin. You burn one guy, you, mm-hmm. then another guy gets to rest. And I, I wish Armal should be doing that. I mean, if, if they're trying to model this after what they've seen on the Rays and the Dodgers, those teams do this. They've got that figured out. And, you know, maybe he'll get better at it. I think he, I like, I still like Marmol as a manager. Don't get me wrong, you know, but, um, you know, he needs to, he needs to figure out how to use these guys more effectively and when to use them and when not to use them. And I don't think he's quite there yet. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Um, yeah, I just, you know, and again, you, we've got, you're right. They've got a lot of guys out there. We're, we're talking about Palente. Yeah. You know, Palente, he's, right. Use you him know, three or four innings. <laughs> right. And, and Let him throw a, that change up. You know? <laughs> and he's yeah. thrown all of, you know, five innings this month. I mean, right. Yeah. Where he and, 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 in a month where they've needed, they've needed long relief outings. Yeah. You know, why not? Why not use Palante for four or five innings if you need to in, in, in behind, you know, almost like in a piggyback. Hate to use the word piggyback, but, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be. The thing about using a piggyback situation is an organized situation. You're going to use Palante after Hicks because that's the way you've got it scheduled. Right. You don't have to organize it that way. You just have to be prepared to do it. Right. Um, and then the last point goes 
to tonight, and it goes to one of those I assume that you're were referring to when you said you didn't you know, want to see out there. Um, Cardinals gambled on TJ McFarland. Uh-huh. Um, and it feels like that gamble has, it's it, again, still somewhat early, but you know, there was a lot of risk involved in bringing a guy that, you know, they pull off the waiver wire and has a good year, um, especially a reliever back. And it feels like it's starting to blow up in their face. Um, you know, a lot of inherited runners are scoring, um, you know, there are games where he'll come in and, and, you know, get the outs that he's supposed to, but it feels more often than not that it's, it's not coming easily if it does come and it's often not coming. Yeah. Looking through his stats here, his ground ball rate is down significantly. Um, that feels like an early season quirk, um, just 10 innings. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the kind of state, you know, these kind of like batted ball profile, stats can vary pretty significantly because a couple balls leave a ballpark or, or fly balls instead of ground balls. And it tweaks the stat quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? Um, you might have it up, so it might not be a mystery. What do you think TJ McFarland's ERA is right now? Well, before tonight. Yeah, I do have it up. So it's, Oh, I, did he I, pitch I, tonight? Yeah, he gave up, uh, he gave up a number. Oh, of he runs. sure did pitch tonight. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah, see yeah. it there at the yeah, top of the screen. Yeah, yeah. well, it's going it's to defeat my point here. Yeah, well, going into the night, it, yeah, you're right. It felt like he was pretty pretty bad, but it was just an ERA under four and a half, 4.35. Uh, yeah. You know, which I is would. not great, but honestly, I wouldn't have expected a whole lot better from TJ McFarlane. I know that sure. last year it was a, you know, he had a 256 ERA last year, but he was miscast in that late inning reliever role. He just was. And, and his FIP, FIP, you know, fielding independent pitching, um, was significantly higher. He outperformed that by a lot. A lot of ground balls, and you kind of expect that. And, and Bush Stadium suppresses home runs. He didn't give up a lot of home runs last year. But he also didn't strike guys out. And if you can't strike guys out, um, at some point you're going to get hit and runs are going to score. And we're seeing some of that. And um, did he give up? A, no, he gave up a three. Did he give up a three-run home run or something like that? That must have been when I was uh, no, rambling he, about the young. He gave up a two-run homer. He gave up like a double that brought in the runs that Whitgren had plus one of his own, I think. And that's yeah. the thing. You know, you look here, you're right, 435 ERA, but he's had 42% of his inherited runners score, not before tonight, which is going to yeah. gonna go up. That's going to be closer to, you know, probably closer to 50 now, 50%. Yeah, right. Um, which obviously doesn't reflect in his ERA. You know, you know that. But um, And that's... You know, that's what concerns me because it does feel like that, you know, we go back to a little bit, but Marmol has so often brought him in with runners on thinking he's going to get that double play right. or get that ground ball or whatever. And occasionally he does, but a lot more often, you know, he's given up a couple of a hits or a couple of runs that may not go against him, but, you know, they still count on the board. Yeah. Yeah. And he probably needs to be in that sort of lefty specialist role uh, as opposed to the ground ball getter, double play getter that he was like last year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with the three batter minimum, it's just sort of hard to keep a guy around that that sort of sits in that role. Now, um, this is sad. I've already forgotten him. Who who? Who was the guy last year? The lefty reliever, same situation. What was his Luis name? Garcia. No, no, not no, no. Uh, not, no uh, uh, Wade LeBlanc. Yeah, no, no. Before oh. that, before that, uh, I'll have to. I'm gonna have to pull it up now. Yeah. Um, shoot, um, he was pretty good in 2020, I guess, and then 
um, just fell off a cliff in 2021. Another lefty reliever, short short reliever. Uh, um, boy, this, this kind of thing where our trivia should be better than this. Yeah, um, and it's going to be, oh, yeah, that guy, but. Yeah, uh, um, da, 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 interesting um, audio here. Someone yeah, tell a joke or something. We all <laughs> scramble, <laughs> scramble around to find last year's roster. Um, you know, everybody everybody's excited about that. Um, huh, the, the, Tyler Webb, there he is. Tyler, yeah, yeah, yeah. There he is, yeah, Tyler yeah. Webb. Yeah, it's it's a lot like the Tyler Webb situation, uh, although Webb was significantly worse. But Webb got 16 innings to prove himself in, in a Mike yeah. Schilt era. So, um, you know, uh, McFarland's going to be pushing Webb's ERA, which at that time when he got, uh, did he get sent down or just does he, he got sent down? Yeah, because he pitched the rest yeah. of the he pitched the rest of the year. Yeah, I was going to say he got yeah DFA. Yeah. He may have yeah, um, cleared, cleared waivers, but he pitched cleared the rest waivers. Of the yeah, uh, you know, a 13.22 ERA uh, and a 5.74 WHIP, uh, 16 innings, 22 games. So. You know, that's kind of um, a mile marker there. I, I think McFarlane hasn't looked quite as bad as no. as that yet, uh, although I didn't see him pitch today. So, well, um, and Webb, Webb was walking everybody, you know, 19. He was, yeah, so and that, that was totally uncharacteristic for him. So yeah. that was just sort of an oddity. Uh, that's another thing, you know, that McFarlane's doing right now is walking to me. He's not walking a lot compared to the rest of the league, but compared to himself, he's walking a lot. And, uh, you know, I think there's a decent chance that maybe that Ollie can kind of figure out his role and get him sorted out. But it needs to be low leverage and it needs to be against lefties. And, um, uh, you know, it, it just needs to be the right situation. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I think that's uh, going to do it for tonight. I know we've run longer than normal, but I feel like, you know, kind of a lot of good stuff. So. Yeah, lots, um, lots to talk about tonight, really. Yeah. Um, check out, Jason, let's see, you're writing, what, Tuesdays and Saturdays over at Viva, is that right? Uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays, yeah, over at Viva Alberto's, and um, yeah, should be a, a, an analysis article once a week and something fun, you know, on Saturdays, because who wants who wants deep, detailed content on a Saturday morning? No, so. nobody, nobody, nobody wants that. No, I don't either. <laughs> I hope I hope not. I hope nobody wants it during the week, because that's, that's what keeps me in business. So, <laughs> right. um, anyway <laughs> thanks for joining me tonight for for filling in alan's shoes and uh look forward a to do it again sometime soon yeah definitely man anytime uh, like i said jason uh alan will be back in a couple of weeks uh at the beginning of june so we'll probably have another guest host in here next week um also if you're interested if you're on the discord thing i we still have the the meet me at mutual discord group you can join in there and chat about the show or other random things if you want to um until next week though for jason i'm daniel good night he's got a second out look at the scene on the field mccarver the first one now his infielders all over him a new world's record of 17 strikeouts in one game <laughs>